Yeah, I wanted to book you on this uh, show that I do. It's that basement show. There's no mic, no chairs, and unfortunately, this time around, I can't pay you, but there is a buffet. Cops retirement party. I got no room for you to stay in, but there's free drinks. You wouldn't mind uh, hiding out for about a half hour, 45 minutes until the uh, birthday girl gets there, would you? Wondering if you'd like to do comedy uh, on a boat. Not a very big boat, kind of just like a real boat. Really, it's just a canoe. Let me know if you want to do the gig. Hey, how's it going, Gary? Welcome back. This is Death by Comedy. I'm Chris Walsh. I'm Gary Peterson, and you're joining us, and we thank you. Yes, thanks <laughs> for, for your... joining us. This is fun. We're, uh, we're getting into it. This is, we're a couple episodes in now. We're feeling it out, feeling out the ropes here. Uh, you know, we're getting into the fall. I was just thinking about this, Gary, because you, you had asked me, you know, not too long ago, I think it was only several seconds ago, about terrible jobs I've had where people asked me if I would be willing to do comedy. This is like a, yeah. you know, like a civvy job that you're working where somebody's like, oh, you do comedy. Um, maybe you should get up there. Or whatever. Has that you ever happened to you? A million times. Yeah. And I stopped. I really started living with, I think it was like a Dave Chappelle in, interview where he talked about how he lived a double life where he would yeah. go to school at 14 and then do stand-up at night. And I started when I was about 15 in school. So, so like outside school, I was like trying to, you know, sneak into clubs and, and other shit. And uh, I had no I, idea you were a wonderkind. Oh, no. I, I think we met each funny. other when you were a little bit older, Gary. Are you, or did you have that beard at 15? <laughs> I had sideburns, for sure. <laughs> um, and a Pee Wee Herman haircut. I think the uh, we met when I was eighteen, and okay. uh, uh, and you were always uh, so cool. Uh, oh, I'll never okay. forgive you. No, you were always magnanimous and, and quite uh, uh, kind. But when I, what I learned the nice uh, uh, nice thing, and I remember watching you and your brother talk about the jobs you'd have and the adventures there, and I was like, oh, that was great. And when I would get a job, I would instantly tell people I was a comic, and it became yeah. a problem. Because they're like, yes. why are you so tired today? You can't go out at night if you're going to do open mics, show up to work tired. And they're like, yeah. all this bullshit. So I decided to hide it away. Right. And then eventually it became like, I became better at it or more successful. Or people would stumble upon it. When I worked at the post office, because uh, oh I was like, that's a whole I episode decided, of a terrible job. Uh, I'm sure. it, it, you'd think on paper you're like hey uh you know you're walking around you get fresh air <laughs> and uh people are waving to you and you wear a little hat and you whistle yeah. um on paper it's the best job in the world but yeah it was not the traditional way of getting a job at the post office it was like they brought us in they didn't tell us why they didn't tell us you had to take a test they were just can you speak english are you drug free can you carry yeah. a lot of weight <laughs> sure and after two and a half weeks of training, when they're handing out your assignment, they're like, oh, by the way, yeah, you are all hired to eliminate overtime for all the regular workers oh, in the entire postal force. So we were like hired scabs. Yeah, that's a real and these guys. It's like I'm and people would show, show up. They would like everything short of spitting at me. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I had. I almost died a handful of times because of shit that the the, the bullying culture of the Weymouth Post yes. Office was. Because 
each route, you never think about this. You do a thousand deliveries a day, a thousand, six hours of walking, dogs, porches falling apart, crack houses. But somebody that knows the route is able to write down, like, avoid this place. Don't go to that. Don't deliver there. But they would remove those cards when you're setting up a route you had no idea about. So you'd walk in and a Doberman pincher would rush you and you'd have to jump a fence. Um, I'm definitely allergic to bees. Yeah. they took, uh, uh, there was a hornet's nest in the mailbox. That, that is... I, I, it was like that flip up one. Yeah. That, so I'm stabbing it with a Bed Bath and Beyond coupon just on autopilot. <laughs> and I see all the wasps look at me like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had to run wow. and, and fight them off so they didn't uh, sting me to death. And then uh, I get back to the office and they go, Oh, yeah, at uh, 31 Vine, there's. Uh, bees i think i don't know and i was like yeah i found them um yeah but they found me the, yeah so i that's did not, brutal i didn't they fucking bullied me so much i had this big fear of them showing up or finding out about comedy or whatever and of all people the the janitor at the post office the custodial worker is a his title was it was a guy named Joe. He was pretty nice. He, yeah. he, you know, I didn't take his overtime away. Right. Right. He shows up at an open mic in Marshfield <laughs> and I, and I'm like, I'm looking at him and he's like, uh, and they all call me radar because Gary Berghoff from mash. Yeah. Uh, yeah they yeah. say, Ray, radar, what are you doing here? And I was like, um, yeah, I'm just hanging out. And, He's like, oh, okay, I'm going to do some comedy. I was like, okay, good luck, Joe. And then I went up and leveled the place. Yeah, like, nice. It's a shitty back-end bar in front of a darts board, and I throw as much heat as I can, and I walk off, and he's like, what the fuck was that? Like, he was blown <laughs> away because he was going up to do, like, his second set. Yeah, he yeah. fine. And then it, it got out. They were like, Radar's a comedian. Oh, damn it. We're going to go to all of his gigs and bring the bees. And it became, uh, once it it was like right then and there, I think I decided, I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, good for you. And they lightened up for my last two weeks, but God, that was hell. Well, it's like, Uh, it's probably like a lot like prison where you, you know, he's a short timer. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. What about you? He's on his way out. Um, that's great. I mean, that's like, you know, really sad, but great story, Gare. I don't like Thank to hear you. about you, your tribal trials and tribulations earlier on in your career. But, uh, you know, sometimes those things, they can just be reassuring where you're, uh, you're working this terrible dead end job, something you don't want to do that could become a career very easily if you took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then you go and you do your, your night gig, the night job, the stand up, and, you know, you see that path. Which has brought us together. What about you? Have you, has anyone, did, would you tell people that you worked with your comic at all? Yeah, I think, you know, it's hard to remember back, but I, I think I was like you. Like, I was just, I mean, I've always been like a show and tell kind of person. Like, I never got out of that stage when I was a kid where I just wanted to tell everyone, like, wear my heart on my sleeve and be like, I'm a comedian. I want to be a comedian. Like, even when I sucked. And, uh, you know, I remember, like, girlfriends coming to the show and being like, you're serious about this? But it's like, you see it, you know, you see it in your heart. You're like, I really want to do this. Like, I remember talking to this uh, 
this, you know, young woman that I dated in college and she didn't take it seriously at all. And I remember having a conversation with her after one of the shows where I was like, yeah, this isn't, I don't think this is going to work out. You know what I mean? Because she doesn't believe in me. Like I believe in myself so strongly. It's hard to express. It's like, this is, I know this is all I want to do. Even if I'm awful at it, this is what I want to do. And she was just like, you know, she was like a very intelligent woman. <laughs> she was just like, are you sure this is what you want to be doing? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Even if I suffer forever, I was just like, and then in my head just being like, this isn't going to last long, you know? Uh, you know, this is one of those things, but I think it's something that we all as performers have in common is just that self belief, even if it's to our detriment, you know, those of us who stay in the game. Um, have you, have you been thrust into like uh Hey, uh, Christopher, we're gonna we're gonna have a fundraiser at our yes. work tonight. Why don't you, why don't you do your stand up? Yes. Did this ad happen? Yes. Um, actually, my brother and I sort of our origin story. So my you know to understand that, like my brother and I ended up kind of doing sort of more than I would have done on my own in the long run. But we worked at the Massachusetts State House. You could say it was our uh, United States Postal Service, Gary. Um, <laughs> It wasn't, there weren't any bees or anything like that. We actually liked that job because it was sort of like, you know, it was like, you didn't really have to work that hard. You could sometimes sleep on the job. Uh, we were, you know, we worked for the, the Senate. I'll keep this one short. I feel like we got to have my brother on to tell the longer version. But uh, they, we, we, you know, we were getting a little bit of notoriety. We were doing pretty well in Boston at this point. And uh, I think they did like a story on us. It was like the Statehouse Gazette or whatever it was, like someone caught on and they did an interview with us. You know, there was some little it's like, like a rag. step above the, the Trader Joe's fearless flyer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was the, it was a Massachusetts state house fearless flyer. You know, they were selling uh, jalapenos like three for a dollar. And then they had a story on the, bro the Walsh brothers, you know, you could get your, you know, your poppers or your jalapeno poppers or whatever, but um, frozen. And they did a story on us and the, basically the, you know how they have these like political dinners and like breakfasts in Massachusetts. It's all like, you know, on St. Patrick's day, you go to Southie before the parade or whatever. And, you know, they all make fun of each other. It's like a big roast in the morning. They have their corned beef and cabbage and they just shit on each other. Our town mm -hmm. had a similar thing in Charlestown. And just to, just to give you the levels, this is my brother and I just started, like we, I don't think we even hosted a show together yet. And we were still separate. We weren't really known as the Walsh brothers. And, uh, and they asked him to host, to come in and do sort of close this political breakfast on the uh, Battle of Bunker Hill Day, which is a parade day in our town. It's like a Sunday morning, yeah. political hacks, but Mayor Menino is gonna be there. And uh, so my, we went in and we, you know, we did that breakfast and just bombed horribly. Um, <laughs> I regret this part of it. My dad actually wrote us like several pages of like jokes. My dad just wrote us out like a whole speech. Should have listened to <laughs> him. Why, why was your dad your comedy he was He was a uh, political, like he, he was like a speaker. He was a uh, union guy, like a union rep. Oh. My dad, he was a union manager. And so he had done a lot of stuff like this. And I'm sure if we had just used his jokes, we probably would have done well. But my brother and I were like kind of sketch guys. And at the time, there was a uh, strike going on with the um, fire department all throughout Boston. And Mayor Menino wasn't 
he wasn't even talking to the fire to the fire guys like the, the firefighters and uh and so we we opened with my brother he was like ah, i don't know where my brother is and then he pulled out like a toy walkie-talkie and he's like he told me to call him on this and then he just was like bird dog bird dog this is base whatever and then i came in wearing like a children's fire firefighter outfit with like a little helmet that didn't really fit me and i came i came through the i came through the crowd like ripped torn right and i had like a little fire extinguisher that squirt water and i was like squirting people with it which is not a good opener for a political breakfast and, uh, alienates everybody. Yeah. I come in and Menino has his head. Menino is the, he's the mayor at the time. He's the mayor of Boston on this dais. And he's got his head below the table and he won't even look at us. Didn't look at us once the entire time. And then I came up and my first words were, I don't perform without a contract because he was refusing to sign their contract. So essentially my brother and I were taking the side of these firefighters at the start of this like roast breakfast and so everyone in the room is all there because they want to be like, like fucking, you know, Medford's dog catcher or whatever. So, so they're all, they're all like, no one is laughing. They're all just like independently, just like, fuck these guys. Um, anyway, it went really badly. It was a tough Bunker Hill day for us and an auspicious uh, beginning to our career together as the Walsh brothers. Um, wow. Yeah, and we, we just were sitting on the curb afterwards, sitting outside of the Knights of Columbus in Charlestown, just going, we should have done dad's jokes. Should have done dad's jokes. <laughs> it was pretty bad. But fun, but fun. I, had, I, feel I, had, like... I always had too much fun while I was bombing, sweating my ass off on a hot June 17th day. I feel um, like you could have uh, used that infamy to get a good firefighter's gig after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could have spun it. They loved us. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, we, we should we probably have... introduce our guest. That's, uh, yeah. This episode is great. I'm so excited to uh, bring it to people, for people to hear it. Yeah, she uh, just is hired as a co-host of Parental Logic on Nova PBS. Oh, awesome. Um, she, she does a weekly show on Instagram, called artisanal comedy she's been named best of boston comedian two years in a row which uh is not like a voting bullshit thing this is like the critics go watch shows and uh and decide um what good comedy is and i want it and uh just once but yeah um, yeah we want it twice gary so um something we all have in common I'm going back to Boston. I'm going to win it four times. You're going to win one more um, so you can be in that, that Bethany Van Delft uh, ech- echelon. Absolutely. She's uh, Bethany Van Delft with a T on Instagram. She has an album out on all the things called I Am Not a Llama. Please welcome Bethany Van Delft, everybody. Yay! What an intro, dude. Stop it. Oh my God. Thanks for for joining us. Um, I don't know if Gary laid it out for you, but generally the idea is that we love to talk about uh, horrible performances that people have had. (laughs) Um, Either either like it can be transportation or, uh, you know, just awful shows. I feel like a lot of New England shows can be kind of terrible sometimes. Uh, and we kind of delight in that here. Um, I, you know, I have a question for you to start off because this is something I've neglected to ask anyone else. So this is like a fresh, 
overall question. Before you got into comedy, did you have any terrible like civilian gigs? Like you used to do some modeling back in the day, right? Isn't that, did you do some of that stuff or? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is that is, I mean, I imagine some of that could be the worst, right? It can be really awful. Um, I, if, if any models are listening, they're not going to be happy with me for saying so. But I mean, I really thought it was a stupid thing. Yeah. I was like, ah, whatever. So, I mean, I, I think I could roll with like bad gigs when it was modeling much yeah. better than I could when, you know, with comedy, but right. I mean, some of the worst gigs that a model would, a model would say it's the worst gig. Right. Those are the ones I love the best. So yeah. Like, Why is that? Yeah. I was not a good model, I think. <laughs> well, I really wasn't. Uh, just because it was funny, and I liked, yeah. I loved that it was now suddenly funny. Then, yeah. then loved it, you know. And people are like crying, and it's just a mess, and some people <laughs> on stage, and I'm like, oh my god, modeling's great. Yeah. So, probably not what I should have been doing. Um, right. I felt that way about comedy when my brother and I would do like sketches or anything like that. You would show up and you would expect it to be one thing. I always loved when there was like a monkey wrench in something you thought was going to be really great. You know, so you, it's like you get a thrill out of the, um, the hell gig. Like, yeah. I think that's why we're here. Like, I think part of it is, you know, you, I think I'm a pretty positive, like thinking person. Like I'm pretty like, you know oriented towards like um positivity i'm always like oh this is gonna be great and then as you as things sort of slowly fall apart you're like this is not what i signed up for but it's hilarious yeah it's almost like a fight or something you talk about it the rest of the night you're like did i i didn't know that guy was gonna you know throw a drink at me i um i would get i used to get way more stressed out for like a bad that that thing you're talking about, like you think it's gonna be great and then it's awful. Like I would freak out for comedy because comedy, yeah. I don't know, I guess it was just so important to me and I was so horrible at it. And all I wanted was to be good at it. And so yeah. every bad gig was the worst and every bomb was atrocious. And now, yeah. now I feel, now at the same time that I feel like I actually call myself a comedian and feel like a comedian. right? I also think bombing is like the greatest thing in the whole world. It's just, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's so hilarious to watch, watch the audience be either horrified and right. feel bad for you or horrified and want to throw a beer at you. But just like watching everybody go through me bombing, I think it's yeah. kind of so, so from a personal <laughs> level, it's not even necessarily watching anyone else deal with that rough crowd. Um, because sometimes comics can be really brutal for other comics where they're like, that person's eating it. This is so fun to watch. Ugh. You know? I, Gary, I, sorry, Gary. Je- I mean, Bethany's known me long enough to remember, I think, when I had hair on my head. <laughs> and, and I don't consider those the funny years. <laughs> so once you start having friends in comedy and then you do bad in front of them you're almost like i almost like would look back like are you still my friend bethany (laughs) i swear to god exactly like certain people would walk into the club and i would just like absolutely want to vomit and have diarrhea i don't i know i'm gonna vomit. i just want to vomit in front of them like yeah yeah 
10 comedians I esteem won't show up while this next thing happens. Right. It's so much more brutal when your friends are watching. But it sounds like to me, like you've kind of gotten to a more enlightened place where you're like, I don't know, you're more accepting now where you, if you're doing not as well, you can sort of appreciate it that, I don't know. Like, how do you feel when you're going through that? I know, sorry to like keep going, but like, I know that when I watch other people bomb, I I almost feel like this isn't going to happen to me, you know? And then you get up on stage and you realize you're like, oh, this would happen to almost anybody right now. Happen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really sad watching other people bomb unless I really can't stand them. Then I feel like, good, now maybe you'll be a better person. But generally, I feel really bad if anybody else. Yeah, right. But But it seems like you're probably at a place now where you can turn a crowd around where you could go up and they're not so great. You can spend a little bit more time maybe talking to them and like, you know, figuring out what's making them tick and and turn the show around. Is that right? I think when I feel like it, definitely. I think, I think. Well, you are in Boston. I am so Boston. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think once I started really putting work in, which for a really long time, I wasn't, putting the work in, I think. I was just mm-hmm. like going, oh, that's a joke that people laugh at? I'll keep it. And then it would take years to get one more of those. And then I'd cobble right. together like this seven minute set. But if I had to do more, I didn't actually work hard on jokes. Right. So I, I sucked and I bombed a lot. But I think since I've been really working super hard to make jokes funny, <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> I care so much less bombing because I'm working on this thing. So yeah. it's more like, how does it feel when I say that? What do people look like when I say that? Where do they get lost? And then later I listen to it and go, it sounds like they get lost here. How could I make that clearer? What's a funnier word? Or I don't know, but I feel like now I'm always working on, on the jokes. Right, and the so craft. Concerned, yeah, definitely more on the craft than the audience liking me or not liking me to the point where, um, and then I do that for like a lot of the bar shows, but then when I have like a, you know, a bigger gig, then I will, I will pull my shit together. And then yes, it's important to turn the crowd around and, um, and see, what do you, what do you want? Let's do this. But I think um, it's gotten to the point where the last few years um, I see comedians regularly out and about, and I do like all the, the bar shows. I can't believe they keep having me back. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, and they'll, you know, they're probably like, oh, look at this old bomb still trying to do this dream. You know, I saw Punchline, Sally Field, come do my bar show. <laughs> and they, they don't like, they don't expect much from me. <laughs> and then I'll open, like they'll go see someone big that I opened for at the Wilbur. Yeah. And, uh, and they'll come to me after and go, Oh my God, you were actually funny. Oh boy. And then then, like, I'll think about it for a moment. And I'm like, that's right. They never see me be funny. Cause like, I'm always like just bombing all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I save it up for this stuff. I don't know if they feel like you're an asshole for doing that. Or, you know, that's what you do. Work hard and don't care about. No, I I think it's interesting. Like one of my favorite people I think ever to see work on new stuff is Chris Rock you know because people I didn't realize like the first time I saw him I thought he was going to be like running bombing around the stage yeah. normally he's got like this you know a lot of room to roam and he's just like 
so energetic. And then I saw him one time at the old Comedy Connection. Uh, it's so funny to say that now in Faneuil Hall, the big one. Um, and we were like, oh, he's coming in just for Thursday night at like 11 or midnight or whatever he did. And he kind of like breezed through town. And it was like reading from almost like reading from a notebook. And I was like, I never really imagined that Chris Rock would do, you know, that sort of stuff. Like when you see him out here, if he's at like the comedy store or something, he brings his big yellow uh, legal pad and he just kind of goes over and like leans on the stool. It's almost like something you would see at the comedy studio or something like that, where you're like, no notebooks, you know? And then, and then he, he gradually builds to that big sort of performance that he gives. That's like, you realize how much craft is involved and how much bombing and sort of like, I don't know, like, bullshit there is before you can get to that like big gig at the Wilbur you know yeah Bethany you I remember seeing like a switch in you turn on in between I knew you before you had a child and then (laughs) then you had a child and you came back and it was I've, I've noticed with with comedians that are parents they get this like exhausted face like this is going to be a compliment they get they're tired they're worn out so they don't have any visible nerves they're just connected into like what they're saying and i remember you coming back and it was like a comedy studio which at the time the room was like it was nearly not impossible to bomb but if you weren't doing well on a friday it was like what are you doing comedy for? And I don't think anybody was doing well. I think everybody was like, what's wrong with these people? Is this like a bachelorette party to go to the whole place? They would just, they'd laugh and then shut up. There would be no flow. Nobody could get on a roll. I ate it. Everybody ate it. And then you went up and you're like, I don't care. And you just annihilated. And it was like, remember that <laughs> it was it was crazy you were like i have seven days and you were just up there being raw and funny and like the audience was broken up after that like people had a good set because of your set it was like you you had set the tone and and opened the room you cracked the room do you think like when you became a mom that that changed you as a comic for like you know how you perform and things Definitely. Yeah. I definitely, I changed completely after, after having Lulu, my first child. Um, And I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know if it's because I became a parent or because I wasn't sleeping. Like you said, I think um, a part of it is to come out, to come out and do comedy. It's, you know, it's not Cavalier anymore. It's not just me going, oh, I'm not doing anything tonight. I'll go hang out at a comedy show. Like, it was a big deal to leave the house and go do comedy. So I think to make it um, important to be out was important. But also, you know, my daughter has Down syndrome. And so the stuff that we went through early on, all of a sudden, like, comedy was the scariest thing I'd ever done. But now all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, comedy is like, a silly birthday party compared to everything else that's happened. <laughs> and I do remember, I remember the years before Lulu when people would say, all right, how do you want me to bring you up? Have fun. And I'd be like, who the fuck has fun doing comedy, <laughs> idiot? <laughs> and I'd 
I just get like so in my head over it. Like, what do you mean have fun? That's ridiculous. Are you trying to make me bomb? And then after, after I had Lulu, it was fun. Like, I mean, it wasn't fun for a few years, but right. it became fun. Like it's fun now. I, I suddenly know what people mean when they go, okay, go up there, have fun. Like I have so much fun doing comedy now because it's not the most like soul crushing thing that could happen anymore. Right. Bombing, you know, I guess that's part of this, this way I feel like bombing is just funny and fun because it isn't the worst thing that could happen where before I really did. It was just the worst, worst thing that could happen. And it was never going to stop happening because I didn't know how to do the work like the way it requires. And so, yeah, now it just, yeah, definitely having a kid changed and, and who knows why that is, but it, I've definitely changed since then. And there aren't many things that, um, if I don't get in my head, cause I still have a lot of anxiety, but if I don't get in my head before a show, there is not really any room that I'm like, I can't do this and then freak yeah. out. I'm like, I can do this. Just what am I going to do today? Am I going to work on these new jokes? Like, am right. I gonna, um, How are you going to share your creativity with the world, so to speak? But I guess one of my questions for you is, I guess, since the show is about hell gigs, have you ever said yes to like a something you knew was going to be a bad show? Like earlier on, maybe just so you can get over that fear. So you can like, you know, because a lot of us, it's like, when we first start performing, you don't, you'll take any opportunity to perform. I, I guess, you know, sometimes we say like, uh, you know, yes to a show that's at like, you know, Angie's clams or something like that. You know, it's going to be <laughs> the worst. Like Is someone's going to be talking over you with like, um, you know, like uh, number 99 or you know, whatever. Extra tata, extra tata. <laughs> you, you're next to the, the booth. Or would you avoid those? Because some people would avoid those shows. Yeah. Avoided them. Totally avoided them until, (laughs) until whatever the epiphany was, I totally avoided them. Then, um, you know, I, I stopped doing comedy for like four years. Oh, wow. Okay. So I avoided them. I avoided those gigs. Then I quit comedy and then I was like, great, I'm free of this shit. Right. And then when I came back, I was like, okay, I have to do it the way people do this or right. what's the point of me being back? And yeah, so yeah, then yeah. I started doing all the mics and saying yes to every gig. And I cried after so many shows. <laughs> oh, I, didn't tell you. Yeah. Um, I used to cry after grandma's basement. Almost. Oh, wow. Long. That's Gary's almost old every- haunt. Was that, yep. was that when I was running it or before? Or- I think Benny, Benny Boschnack was running it or... Yeah, Benny was running it at the time that I started doing it. And um, I, I would bomb so horrifically in front of people like you, Gary, that I love, that I don't <laughs> want to bomb them. You know, like, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to walk away with that memory of me, right? And that's why I would leave crying. And there'd also oh, there'd always be, like, a couple of real comedy fans and then a couple of judgy, yeah. judgy tourist Red Sox fans. <laughs> Yep. Drunk, drunk people kicked out of another so bar. I've heard that more than just, just you. That love that. <laughs> it was, it was a pit of hell in front of a pool sliding door, uh, uh, with rats and mice 
and prostitutes and drug wow. dealers and uh and it was mafia owned secretly but everybody was <laughs> like uh it was like old school jewish mafia the the dude had like outlived everybody else in the, in like play behind the scenes so the bar was kind of like i think maybe a way to to filter a couple operations like prostitution and such and who we were just like gig? yeah yeah gary who books, books it, it? yeah <laughs> i thought what an opportunity for stage time and we would everybody would eat it and i i ate it uh, uh so much there just being like because i became running it uh because benny went uh, mildly insane that's a known known fact <laughs> he was just like can you come help out i show up and they're like uh here are the keys to the castle and uh you're in charge and make sure you make this much money i was like what the fuck <laughs> and people still they they blame me for that room i'm like i don't know what you want me to do with anything i put up a banner i plugged in a mic that's all the work i wanted to do let's just fucking try our best mm. but i never i ne- never ever thought less of you ever uh on shows I- I love so much. And for who, why would I do that? Why would I go to a room that I cry after and then just like long to be back there? I don't know. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I think you, you know, something had changed, you know, you just really maybe wanted it that much more, you know, it's, I, I mean, I, I actually hearing your story about taking, you know, I didn't have kids and uh, I don't know if I'll ever have kids. I mean, I commend you for that, but that's like, you know, <laughs> choosing to become a no. Navy SEAL, you know, like I can't, I can't do without the sleep personally, but a ca- having a cat is hard enough for me and some plants. But um, what I was going to say is I, I feel like just hearing you talk about that, like I took three or four years off and I was in a similar place going recently to more recently to open mics and leaving and just being like, why did I t- choose to talk about that? I want to kill myself. You know, like I leave and I'm like, I've been doing comedy for 20 years and I'm like, I'm in Los Angeles, just in my car, like giving it a breather before I go home to my girlfriend with like tears in my eyes. Just like, I can never do that again. I don't know why am I doing this? I did this already. You know, I was like my- mildly successful at comedy. Um, but I-, I appreciate where you're coming from. And I guess my next question involves redemption because you were going to grandma's 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 basement every not every week but often i'm sure maybe it was like maybe it was every week but you know and going through it and dealing with it and you know that sounds like a regular hell gig that you did and gary hosted um but was there a time where you felt like you went in there and it wasn't good but you i mean i guess this brings it back to the last couple questions but where you felt like you were on better footing and you were like i can do well even in a room like this um I, there was a time that you guys, were you booking it with Matt Kona together? I think. Me? Yeah. Was, uh, was it ever you and Matt? It, I just gave him some nights because he was so annoying. I was just, <laughs> <laughs> he was, it was his little clubhouse as so many other comics. Because Benny, Benny didn't want to do anything um, in particularly difficult. And so when I got the keys, I also got told how much they need to make per night. So there was oh like, like a, a, a financial responsibility. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, yeah, like I have to make X amount. And then uh, so I, I would try to I would try to rip, whip it into a little bit of shape. But then people showed up like, I'm just going to do an hour. I'm like, you're not you've never done 20 minutes. I don't want <laughs> you to get on stage. What are you kidding me? Uh, but but Matt, Matt and I have 
become friends since he's just uh i just gave him like as a yeah do whatever you want think so you you some combination of you and matt or matt booked me to headline and i said no before i thought about it and then the, the day was looming it was coming and i was like what the hell am i gonna talk about for that long um and I had Lulu, I was still nursing, and my boobs were bigger than they've ever been in, in my whole life, or dreams yeah. of being, yeah. even surgery. <laughs> and so I put the, I went and I got, um, I got a, a, I could buy a bra Victoria's Secret for the first time in my whole life, because that was a size that they never heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went and got one in a, a push-up bra, and then I just, I put my boobs in like a V-neck dress and I went and I was like, even if I suck for a whole hour, there'll be a picture of me with boobs and that will be good enough. And so I went up there with, I was like, wow, women with big titties do have better confidence. It's just, I have to get them. One day I, I have to get them. I like the way this confidence feels. And then I did okay. I did fine. The room was... The room was packed with, I'd say, like, a third of people who came to see me. It's, like, maybe, like, 15 people who came to see me. And then the combination of Fenway tourists and um, people staying at that hotel, which is, like, oh. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then then some, a bunch of comedians. And it was fine. I didn't do super well, but I felt good about it. You felt the sort of, you had sort of turned a corner. Yeah, like I with, did this. Yeah, was that one, was that one of the shows where your dad came out and saw you? Because I, yeah. I've mm-hmm. watched. I every time I'm fascinated by your dad. Every time because <laughs> you introduced you talk used to talk about how your dad was a communist, card carrying communist, and I was like, I need it would be my first communist that I ever met. I need to meet this guy. Your your dad's from Haiti, correct? Nope, my dad is Dutch. And he, oh, okay. It was your mom. mom like you used to do a sketch where you did a character. Was it Haiti or was it somewhere else? The character was a, a cab driver from Haiti. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. I thought that was somebody in your family. You were kind of limp. No, that was a cab driver that yelled at me. And I had oh, no. a, a lot of friends from Haiti. So I knew how to do that accent. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't mean to de- derail that. No, back to your no. dad, your Dutch, your Dutch uh, communist <laughs> father. <laughs> He's a yeah Dutch. So Gary, you met you met my dad. Chris, you've seen my dad. Um, you've seen my dad, whether you remember it's my dad or not. But he, if you ever remember seeing a guy that looked like Lennon yeah. um, or Mark sitting yeah, in yeah. the front row just staring at you blankly, <laughs> like why are you doing this? That's my dad. Yeah. He has a statue face. It's like yeah. if you look up communist history, his face should be like number. We're getting the, we're getting the pick. Let's let's get this. We're getting a picture. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Not a yes. priest. Just thought that I was. I remember funny. now. Yes. Remember? He's not. He's, a he's one of he's one of those guys that couldn't come to the studio without everyone on like on the show asking him what his deal was. Right. So by the time, like by the time my brother and I or I got up there, I was like, I'm not going to talk to this this guy. It's like clearly everyone's talking to this poor man. You know, like just let him enjoy his daughter's performance. No, um, he deserved everything he got. <laughs> like, Does he, he like your comedy? It. Does he like 
Um, I remember he'd sit there mostly, and he and he would just kind of he'd stone face everybody. He mostly does. He likes um, the more political stuff, and uh, he likes this bit about my therapist breaking up with me that I did when I was doing comedy for like a couple of years. He thought that was so funny, so he brings it up always now. <laughs> and then um, when when me and Jamie got married, he was like, "Oh, you know, you'll have so much more material now. Like you can now, you can do that material now. Like, oh, my husband's a real louse." <laughs> You can do that stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> what a word from the forties! Um, <laughs> like, but he's not, and he's like, "Yeah, but you just say it." And I'm like, "No." <laughs> oh boy, he's just—he's just waiting. He's waiting for you to get married so he can unload with all of his material. Yep, his marriage material. Did that, did that ever, did you ever have to do any political uh, shows like for anything like he was involved with that were like nightmarish or I know like Cambridge is kind of, if people don't know, it's kind of, it's called the People's Republic of Cambridge. It's a very independent minded, upbeat, um, liberal haven of, you know, Harvard, MIT and and the like. Um, Those were, those are easy. I've done ones that are like for the, the very left and they're like very fundraiser, you know, really making, you know, taking the money and, and using it for their cause. And, um, and those would be, they would be packed with completely left people who I grew up with, you know? Yeah. And I know that they're doing the comedy benefit because they know that comedy, you know, benefits can have comedians but you know the revolution's not funny and that was it and i would go into these <laughs> i would go into these gigs to be supportive like i you know cuz I, I it's how i came up but but knowing i can't make anybody here laugh because the revolution's not funny and uh, they'll just they'll mainly like just nod and stare at me and i will i always knew the intro was going to be it's going to go like uh, and so we have to raise $1,300 to bail out our brothers and sisters from the last uh, protest um, against, you know, police brutality. So if you have any money extra, please put it in this bucket and, um, and let us end police brutality once and for all. Uh, so it's probably time for comedy now. Uh, <laughs> This woman coming to the stage is Steve Van Delft, and her mother and father have been revolutionaries forever. Her father was a union leader and started the Community Educational Social Worker Union. Uh, her mother, just a list of activism forever. Uh, I think we had to bail this bumper out probably <laughs> just um, and now Bethany cold, just cold just right up oh god that's classic me. I think I it's hilarious that, that they hey, can yeah <laughs> it was hard it was really hard
They're, uh, I love the terrible intro. Yeah, just a, but also not only terrible, but like 20 minutes long. <laughs> just a list of facts. She is yeah. a woman. She has driven here. Right. She is, uh, has two parents. Kind of, uh, she's kind of vapid, so let me talk about her parents. <laughs> Who actually do shit. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, you have one of my favorite jokes ever. I almost is this the I, one that is it the one the only one that works at a gig like that? Is that I don't the joke know. You love? Is it the <laughs> is it the uh, you can be black in anything? I believe is the <laughs> setup. I I would say to me, and I don't want to put you in the spot. Uh, can you, could could you inform the listeners of the great joke that you have that I I fucking howl at? And I, it's one of those jokes the comics wait for in the back though. And like they lean in, like yeah, like I fist pump. So hilarious! I I like started telling that joke with such gloom because everybody heard it already. But um, but it always works. So you know when you get in that hole and you're like, I got to do something that works now. And that joke mm-hmm. always like usually works. But it's that my mother is black and she's from Puerto Rico. And someone said, How could you be black and Puerto Rican? And I said, You could be black in anything, like blade. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> and so I have to tell you how many people, how many industry people hate that joke. And they're like, who's Blade? I don't know Blade. Blade is. And I'm like, I'm like, I know, but oh my God, Jeff Singer hated that joke. Just for laughs guy. Right. And yeah. So the last time I saw you, I think, I think the last time I saw you in person was in Los Angeles and I was there to do sets for Jeff Singer, right. and I did Ron Lynch's show. Yeah, yeah. That in my tomorrow. ear. Yes, tomorrow. Yes, and he was like, "Don't do that fucking blade joke." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" I mean, it's like, it's funny to me, and any comic book nerd loves that joke. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's like my comic book roots. Yeah, like I, yeah, yeah. You know, um. Which and which dove, dovetails nicely with comedy fans. Yeah. Comedy fans, and it talks about, like, it's, uh, to me, it's all the things, all the things about me, you know? Yeah. Black, Puerto Rican, um, comedy. Daywalker. Daywalker. <laughs> Daywalker with a low tolerance for humans. And, um, <laughs> and it, that's his race in there, you know what I mean? Like you could yeah. be black in anything, moron. Like a vamp, like the black vampire. Come on now, stupid. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It feeds so your I medicine really like with sugar. It. It's it, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah. It's also <laughs> hilarious. Like like blade. The the punchline blade is you know just to say blade. Yes. It's yes. so funny. It's a one-word you know? punchline. Yeah, it's, and how, how hard joke. is it to write a one-word punchline? It's impossible. <laughs> I've been trying. Have you? I love it. He, he hated it. He was not happy that I did that. And it was kind of like, see, now, okay, now here we go. I give you this chance, and this is what you do with it. But, um, That's you know? a little, I mean, uh, so what happened after that? That was it. He just told you never to do that joke again. <laughs> That was it. Um, I think I think I did work with him after that, but I definitely it gave me 
It was like when you cross, I crossed the line there where, right. oh, industry and something I want so bad is telling me right. don't do this thing that I feel so connected to. Yeah. What am I, I going to do? Right. I don't know. I'm going to do the joke anyway. Of course. And um, there's Rock another joke. Another joke, Gary, I think you are, you've often been the only person in any audience that laughs at the joke. <laughs> and uh, I, even Jamie is like, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> um, my mom, like our, our, you know, my parents are Marxist and our pets had Marxist names too. My dog was Carl Barks, my German shepherd. My German shepherd was Carl Barks. My uh, Siamese cat was Meow Setong. And this is, <laughs> it's actually true. And so people are laughing, like I wrote this brilliant joke, but it's it's true. Yeah. And so it, it, while I'm telling it, I'm usually like, God, what kind of upbringing did I have? And then, um, and a black cat, we really had a black cat named Proletariat, which broke my heart <laughs> because... That broke my heart because that was my cat. And I named it Boo Boo Kitty, like Laverne and Shirley's Boo Boo Kitty. And she changed this, she, she radicalized my cat. Oh. And <laughs> my cat was just Boo Boo Kitty and now it's proletariat. And um, someone, I can't remember, in like when me describing this, someone asked me, why was the cat named proletariat? Why was the black cat proletariat? And so the joke goes, and a black and a, and we had a black cat named Proletariat um, because the product of her labor was sold for a profit by the owner of the means of production, and no <laughs> one ever ever laughed at that joke. It's so except funny. Gary, except Gary and like a random Marxist or person who knows yeah. in an yeah. audience. It it's tickles me. Generally, one person in every five audiences, one person laughs. And Jamie's oh. like, why do you keep doing that? And I'm like, because it's funny to me. Yeah. And um, it's like a way to get the pain out. And then some yeah. person laughs at it. And then I'm yeah. like, oh my God, you get me. You get something about me. It's an immediate connection <laughs> with that one person. You know, my brother used to say, it's like, if we get even like a fraction of the audience, like think about the, on the grander scale, those are your fans. You know what I mean? If you get a couple of people per audience, I mean, I'm not saying that it would be one per audience, but like, if you ever find that niche or however you say that word, those people would, would be the ones who are like, I love this. Like, I love everything you do. You know, it's like, that's a connection that you don't get at, on an average with audiences. I so good. Yeah. I know, I know we're running low on time. You have to be a mother um, <laughs> in quotes. Uh, is there uh, any, any, any memories, maybe the worst uh, uh, gig that you can think offhand? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, okay. what, uh, what, do you got? what will keep you awake at night? <laughs> immediately, immediately the worst gig. I mean, there are gigs that um, I felt awful after, but the very worst gig. Um, this guy, I can't remember his name, but you may have done shows with him. Jeff, his name is Jeff. And he had an open mic in a basement in Chelsea? Or do you remember? He was a dad, right? He had... Uh, he, yeah. I know. And he played I think... guitar sometimes. And, and he, was, he was a nice guy. He was a nice guy. 
which is a nice way of saying unfunny and trash. Very nice. Very nice guy. And I've already already heard several red flags. (laughs) Real sweetheart, this guy. I'm sure. (laughs) Given me age, Jeff Ferguson. Jeff. Okay. Oh, boy. boy. He brought his guitar to a softball game and started playing Wish You Were Here. And I think Doug Shagnon from uh, right field threw a softball <laughs> directly at the acoustic guitar. It's fucking fantastic. That's great. He, was an, he deserved he was, it. He was, he was nice and he was booking me when people weren't like booking me. So I was getting right. like that bombing experience. But so he booked me. He said, hey, do you want to do this benefit? And um, it's for it's against cancer. I was like, sure, I'm a dentist. I'm sorry. And, um, I think, you know, I'll get behind that, right? We're all against yeah. cancer. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do a benefit against cancer. And then he's like, and it's at a stadium. And then my brain went straight to, oh, my God, my first stadium show. Right? <laughs> and I've always been fascinated with, like, you know, rock stars and how does that feel when you're in a stadium and the whole audience is on board with you and that's crazy. And so I was like, this will be my first stadium show and it won't go well, but I will have gotten to do comedy in a stadium, right? Right. And, um, and then he said, okay, so be there by six o'clock. And I said, okay, fine. And I don't drive. So I took the T there and it, I think it was Medford maybe. I'm, I don't know where, but I had to take trains and buses and everything just to get there. And the, the bus schedule got me there 45 minutes before, 45 minutes before the show. Like yeah, they were yeah. there 45 minutes before the show. Yeah. And, um, and I get there and it was a state, but the show was not in the stadium. There was a walk for cancer in the stadium. There was a 24 hour walk for cancer around the perimeter of the stadium. Oh, wow. oh God, I've done yeah. that. And it was going, it was going, they were walking. Oh and wow. They were, they were walking. And then I'm like, maybe this is the wrong place. I mean, I hope that there's a stadium, another stadium that has a cancer benefit mm-hmm. that looks more like a comedy situation. And oh, I'm just like, a backup stadium. There, right? <laughs> and then, uh, I'm walking around and I'm like, hi, this, I'm a comedian. Does anybody know where the contact person is for the comedians? They're like, is there going to be comedy? And I'm like, oh my God. And I keep walking around and then someone finally says, oh yeah, over there by the speakers. And then (coughs) off to the side are speakers and a riser. And like just there with the people walking, hundreds of people walking around the the thing. And and my stomach hurt and I definitely, (laughs) I shed some tears and I was like, what do I do? Like, I don't even know how to get back I don't know where I am and I don't know how to get back to where I, where I belong. And, <laughs> and then uh, I'm lost. I, I, think, I also think um, at the time I might've been doing edgier material and, mm-hmm. and thought I shouldn't be in the show, but somebody else who does like just straight out dirty material was on the show. So I was like, Oh, okay. I'll be okay. And there were, there were children, there were, oh. parents, there were whole families, and it was daylight. It was six, it was 6 PM. The show was <laughs> oh, no. and, then, 
Jeff Ferguson walks by with a like a handheld mic, like um you know um yeah cordless you know what I'm talking about cordless. There you go. And uh, he goes, hi, Bethany, I'm going to do another lap and I'll come back and give you the rundown. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, wow. And so he That's was like, surreal. you can hold this mic and walk around the, the track with everyone oh, while you're doing the comedy. And I was like, could I also not do that? Like, <laughs> is it an option to not do that? And he said, yeah, you could stand on the riser. I'm like, and what? what are we doing? We're just shouting out into the people who are crying over their loved ones with cancer. Like, wow. are you going to corral people and tell them there's a comedy show? And he's like, well, people are doing all different things. So we're just going to be. Wow. And uh, Steve McCone showed up mm-hmm. and he was so professional, so incredibly professional oh, that, Steve. that I, I was like, that's what I have to aspire to. Right. That right there. I have to be that, I have to be that comedian, right? Finally, showtime comes and the people walking sent their kids to, to the riser. They're like, oh, there's going to be a comedy show over there. Just go over there. Wow. And there were children from five years old to like 13 years old. That was our only audience. There were no adults. So wild. I'm I'm sick to my stomach. I'm gonna I'm just gonna vomit on all the kids. And uh, Steve goes up and he does his set. And I was like, I have to be that comedian. Not yeah. today. Yeah. Not today. <laughs> That's what I aspire to. That level of professionalism. And then while he's up there eating ass, <laughs> or cool, eat ass. Um, I, I quickly went, I'm not doing comedy. I'm not fucking doing, I'm not, yeah. doing, I'm not doing a set. I'm, there's no way I'm doing a set. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it, but I'm not doing it. And then they called me to the stage and I was like, you guys, who wants to learn how to write a joke? And that was it. I just sat on the edge of the stage and shot them joke writing. And wow. then, uh, <clears throat> one kid was like six and already the most racist kid I've ever known. Oh boy. <laughs> his parents, obviously his parents, what? But the kid said, we talked about a little, like just You like, said it was Medford. <laughs> <laughs> said, um, yeah, I gave him like the little breakdown of how you write a joke. And then some kids tried it out and it was really cool. And then one kid goes, hey, how do you, what do you do with a Mexican on a volcano? And I'm like, um, I think you should think through this joke longer. <laughs> I'll come back to you later. He's like, I, I want to tell it to you. And I'm like, I think we're good. Um, but just like write it down and then show it to me later. And he goes, one of the kids goes, what do you do? And he goes, you throw the Mexican in the volcano. And I go, okay. So the reason that's not a joke is because you're racist, but also because there's no punchline. There was no setup. There was no punchline. Yeah. And, uh, and that's it. And then the rest of the comedians were furious at me because they were going to do their sets. And I just went and threw a wrench, wrench in the whole world. Yeah. But that was, that was the worst gig. I didn't get a ride home. They were, <laughs> they did not like me. Um, that's a totally ridiculous. Not only because it was, was it a, I mean, not really a uh, comedy show. 
that somebody tried to pass off as a comedy show. Um, by the way, that I, I don't know, Gary, do you think that's that might be the worst? We've heard a couple of really bad ones. That one might take the cake think, for now. I think you're ranked number one. I've done that show at a similar show at Bridgewater State uh, College. Kids there, the walk around the gym around for the gym. all night to raise Crazy. money for cancer. And uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. What did I do? Yeah, what did you do? I crushed. But <laughs> my point is, I just did crowd work. He did, he did Steve McCone's act. <laughs> I, I watched Anthony Sabelli. We were like, it was me, Anthony Sabelli, Matt Donner. Uh, Anthony Sabelli stuck to his time and did all of his jokes. He went first. We were like, geez, in the middle of a gym, no riser, microphone wireless, all the lights on. And then uh, Matt Donner ate it. And then I did crowd work with the cheerleading team the entire time. And I, and I crushed. It was great. Because I was like, they were watching. And then I, I got a picture of me doing spirit, like stands with them. And uh, I told them I was too fat to lift. Even as a team, they couldn't do it. And uh, it was a good time. But yeah, it's a night. It was just like, I'm not doing comedy. Why would I do that? You got it. I mean, I think that's something you learn about doing comedy is how completely adaptable you have to be. Yeah. You, yes. you, I believe that you definitely crushed because you adapted to the moment and it was funny. You made it funny there mm-hmm. that minute. And um, yeah. And but I had fun. 100%. I think, I think more importantly, it's always funny to me that you tried to do, you try, you adapted to that scenario and you did like a joke writing class with these kids and That's then the genius. comics, yeah, it's a great idea. And then you 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 entertained them. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're opening, it sounds to me like you went on relatively early, and everyone else was mad at you. You held their attention, and which is all yeah. you're required to do. So mm-hmm. the other comics who ba- bombed were just blaming a weird scenario on you, <laughs> which is outrageous to me. That was the part that really made me like. That's the capper. I think is like having to deal with the rest of those comics on top of an awful situation. I think we, uh, it felt like I bailed, you yeah. know, like I bailed on it. We're all, it sounds we're like all, you did the right yeah. thing. <laughs> I, I, I think you did the absolute hundred percent right. And I support yeah. you a million times over. Uh, mm. I know you have to be a mom right now. You got to yes. punch in. Um, but wanna... uh, make sure uh, listeners out there, make sure you buy Bethany's album. It is called, I am not a llama. Hundred uh, so percent. That one up, and Art- uh, check out the. Oh, you, Gary, you take it away. Artisanal comedy. Uh, artisanal comedies is is Wednesdays. It's uh, Zoom or Facebook. How do people? Instagram. 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 Awesome. Live nine nice. p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Hell yeah! Real What's time. your uh, Instagram handle there? At Bethany Van Delft. Fantastic. Like we'll put it. Yeah, I like the way you have your handle up there. That's so smart. <laughs> that what the kids are doing nowadays. It's so there smart. you go. It's so smart. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining you. us. Be safe. Say hi to Jamie and Lulu. And uh, you get a new baby. You get a, a fresh baby, right? With I have a, a fresh baby. He's four now. He's four. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's, That's a great he's, age. He's, it is so much fun. He's, in <laughs> he's crazy. Um, but I love you guys. And I'm so happy to see you. And thank you so much for having me. Love you, too. Up. Thanks for joining us. Great stories. Thank you guys for listening. Out the wild again sometime. 100%. We'll be back in Boston doing it together. All right, guys. (laughs) Thanks again.
Bye. Thank you.